Welcome. You are listening to Mountain View Scattered. This is an audio companion to our weekly church gatherings. It is a way to stay connected while you are away and to learn more about our community, how we can best reach and serve it. I'm your host, Wade. God, as we uh, come to you now to hear your word, uh, Lord, I ask that you will um, guide all of our thoughts and all of our hearts and that you will bless this time that we have together. God, we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. So here's our big idea, right? Isaiah, God saves sinners. Sin leads to judgment, but God saves sinners. Why is this so important that we get these big ideas in our head? It's important because you need to hear that. You need to hear it every single week. And we need to hear it also every single week, not just for us, but for the person that we will be sitting next to tomorrow, walking next to tomorrow, working next to tomorrow. We need to be reminded that sin leads to judgment, but that God saves sinners. Now, we all know that our world is fallen, right? Things are broken, uh, and they need to be fixed. But here's the question I have for you this morning. Who is going to fix it? Who's going to fix it? Can you? Can I? Can we take all these broken pieces of everything that we see around us and glue it back together? Christian, you and me, with all of our brokenness, can we bring wholeness to something? No. (laughs) Right? And we see this even with our own children. I don't know about you, but if... If you have children, the goal is always to try to raise them up in a way that is complete. You know, of course they're not going to do everything right all the time, but just when I think that I have a handle on one way of raising my children, I suddenly realize that this thing that I mastered last week is is loose from my grip, right? And this happens throughout all of life when we're working and we think that, yes, I've got this nailed. And then the next thing you know, we don't. And we have to focus on something new. It's something that we've never done before. So in our brokenness, in our incompleteness, we're not the ones that are going to make things whole. We can't make all things new. In fact, even in a task that we have been given in glorifying God, that is showing off His goodness and His greatness to the world, that is showing His justice and His righteousness, can we do that fully and completely? No, we can't. Will your work and your personal holiness represent Him and honor Him in a beautiful way in Today, tomorrow, that will change the world immeasurably. No. (laughs) And as we look around this world, uh, we see everyone trying to do that, though. 
We see everyone trying to make change and trying to will themselves to change themselves. And some of that change is good. And some of it is bad, and usually it's a mix of the two. Always it's a mix of the two. Some of that change only shows continually that we are turned in on ourselves, as one long-dead theologian says. Whatever change takes place in this world, there is a mix of good and bad, of beautiful and of broken. We see it here in Hermanus, and I'm seeing it back in my country right now. People march, people struggle, people give speeches, and then they're never heard. People give voice to voiceless people, but never speak to voiceless people. In the midst of everyone trying to make change, people still suffer. We wait, and let's admit it, right? Every new year, what happens? And now, I'm not picking on South Africans, okay? I know that I'm a foreigner, so forgive me. But what happens? In January and February, everyone's so excited about a new year, and everything's going to change. And then, by the time we get to March, everyone is so tired and exhausted, and they've suddenly realized that nothing's changed, right? And this is why a place like Hermanus uh, over Easter weekend fills up so much. People aren't filling the town of Hermanus to go to church on Easter Sunday, right? They're filling the town of Hermanus because they're exhausted and because they can't change their lives. They suddenly think, we need a change of scenery. Let's go to the seaside, okay? We know this. It happens every single year. But the change that we fight for, the equity and the equality that we want in this world, it never happens. Promises are spoken but never kept. (laughs) Houses are promised that are never built. Our world has a sickness. And there's symptoms of this sickness, right? The, the way that we know we have a sickness, the, the fever, the, the watery eyes, the whatever it is. We see it clearly. Christian, how can I say that we see the symptoms in the sickness clearly? Well, hopefully, as we've studied through the book of Isaiah, we have seen uh, God's word opened up to us. We have seen the words of God flow from the mouth of His prophet. We've seen God's law and truth come forward. We've seen the mirror of God's justice and His righteousness held up to us. And we see that that justice and in that righteousness and in God's holiness, we fall very short. Isaiah has shown us our need. He's shown us that um, we need to learn to do good, right? 
We need to seek justice. We need to correct oppression, as we saw in chapters 1 through 5. But these are things that we should do. These are things that we do do sometimes, but we don't do them perfectly. Things that we ought to do, but we don't always do well. This is the nature, this is what our Christian life looks like, right? We're encouraged by God's word to do things, and we know what we should do, and yet we don't do them, as Paul says, right? Instead, we do the things that we don't want to do. Christian, it's okay that your life looks like that, in a sense. Why? Because it's normal. We were lost in our sin and we have found ourselves now in Christ. And yet, we're still not completely complete. We're not wholly whole. Work as we may to wash ourselves and bandage our wounds and make right all the wrongs that we see We are without something that we desperately need. We're without the ability to make all things new. We need something. (laughs) And I hope that all of us sitting in this room today have experienced it, and that is salvation. God saves sinners. Sinners do not save themselves. Looking back at our last couple of weeks, looking back at last week, one theme that we see throughout the entire of the Bible is this theme, that God is constantly working to make something true, uh, to make a people for himself in a place that he provides for them, he gives to us living under his authority, his rule, which always sounds very oppressive, right? Because we only have bad leaders. But rule and authority in this case are a good thing because with God, that comes with all of the blessings that God has to offer. And we saw two things last week happening. We saw, one, a new exodus, Isaiah, throughout the entire of his book, if we want to say it like that, throughout the entire of the book of Isaiah, we see a picture of an exodus. And we all know what this is, right? This is God leading his first people, Israel, out of slavery, out of sinful leadership, and into a land that he has prepared for them under a good rule of a good king, God himself. We see promises here in Isaiah, though, that God's first people also are going to be kicked out of that good place that God has provided for them, but with the promise that one day there will be a new exodus leading out of a place of slavery and bad leadership and bad authority and bad lands into a good land. And this exodus is going to be led by not just a new Moses, we could go there, but we're going to say, stick with Isaiah's language and we're going to say a new David, a good king, 
after God's own heart. In fact, this king is going to be God himself, which leaves us with one more thing to look at this week. We see God creating a people for himself out of every tribe, nation, and tongue. We see a good ruler, a new David, Jesus. What's left? We've already raised the problem. We need to be made new. We need a new creation. Just as an overview real quick, I want to look at a couple of the things that God promises to do with our sin here in Isaiah. And we've actually already read these passages, so forgive me because I'm going to go quickly through them. In Isaiah 43, we read this, You have not bought me sweet cane with money or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. This is God speaking, speaking to us. Even today, you have burdened me with your sin. But what does he say? I, I am he who blots out, who covers over your transgressions, your sin. For my sake, God says, I'm going to cover over your sin for my sake. And I will not remember your sins. In Isaiah 44, we read this. Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant. O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me. Why? Because I have redeemed you. We have a couple more, but for the sake of time, I'll just do this because it's beautiful. Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed His powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about His appearance. Nothing to attract us to Him. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows. He knew the deepest grief. We turned our backs on Him and looked the other way. He was despised and we didn't care. Yet it was our weakness He carried. It was our sorrows that weighed Him down. And we thought His troubles were a punishment from God. A punishment for His own sins. But he was pierced, not for his sins, for our rebellion. Crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him all of our sin. He was oppressed and treated harshly. Yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong. 
He had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and to cause him grief. Yet when his life was made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hand. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, to be made the righteousness of God, as we already read. For he will bear all their sins. He will give them the honors of a victorious soldier. Because he exposed himself to death, he was counted among rebels. He bore the sins of many and came to the rescue for rebels. This is what God promises to do with our sin in Isaiah. And in that, we see not something simple that we hear all the time, Right? It's not simple, but we grow accustomed to it, and that is that you are forgiven of your sins. Why should we study Isaiah 53? Why should we study Isaiah? Why should we look at the fact that God saves sinners? Because we could say, look, I'm already saved. It's fine. Because if we don't read Isaiah 53 and get hit upside the head with the beauty of everything that Christ has done for us. There's a weakness in our hearts this morning. There's a weakness in our hearts that we need help with. There's a brokenness that needs to be made whole. Steve read for us this morning Isaiah 65, verses 17 to 25, so I'm not going to take the time to reread that right now, but we do want to look closely at what's happening there, because as we'll remember, something very powerful is said there, behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. Now, for many of us that are keen on the book of Revelation, we know that this is not strange language. This is not mysterious language in a way, but this is, should be very familiar language to us. It's a promise that in the same way that God is making us whole by taking all of our sin and us becoming His righteousness, we look around us and all of these broken things are going to be made whole again. We see in verse 17 a new act of creation. We see that just as we became broken in the sin of Adam and Eve and in our own sin, so the world became broken. And the good place that God had created for us to live was no longer beautiful, but was broken, right? We don't just need to be made whole. All things need to be made new. All things must be made whole. And in verse 17, we see that act of creation or recreation, if we want to say it like that. 
In verse 18, we see a beautiful new command. Now imagine this, right? We saw in 1 Peter a, a command, a, a, a piece of beautiful law and blessing thrown at us, and that is to be holy as our God is holy. That's impossible. <laughs> Except for the fact that Christ has died for us and we have become His goodness and greatness and righteousness. But here we see a new command. Be glad and rejoice forever. Be glad and rejoice forever. It's beautiful. And it will be an easy command for us to follow. It's not a don't do this, don't do that. It's be glad, rejoice. In verse 19, we have reason to rejoice. There are no more tears, just as we saw in Revelation. There is no more death, just as we saw back in chapter 25, verses 8 and 9. And we'll touch on that later again this morning. In fact, there's permanence. This, this good place that's been recreated for us is going to be forever. There are going to be vines planted, trees planted, and we get to enjoy their fruit. What is this? What's going on here? This is very strange language. The language is this, that what God is going to be giving us, giving to us, it's not going to be like in Eden where we walked away from it. It's going to be ours forever. And we will be His forever. Verse 22. This is a strange one, but we've talked about this before. We're going to work. And we're going to like it. <laughs> we're going to work and we're going to like it. 23. Not only is there no death, but in case we're not putting the pieces of the puzzle together, there's good life. Not only is there no death, but the, there's no sadness, there's no tears. There's good life. In verse 24, we see that we can know with certainty that God is listening to us. Now, okay, Christian, when you pray, God's listening to you. He is listening to you. But if you're like everyone else, if you're like the psalmist who says, how long, oh God, will you ignore me? Now, there is absolute certainty that we know God hears us. Why? Because He is with us. We are in His presence. Now, here's the beautiful part in verse 25. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in my holy mountain, says the Lord. All of this is impressive. There's animals. Okay, maybe we should get the kids back. In. No, no. The serpent is eating dust. The serpent is receiving justice. Just like as was promised to that serpent, that dragon, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Justice has been done to all the sinfulness and all the brokenness and to Satan himself. God is going to make things the way that He intended them to be. He's going to make things new. Now, um, we don't have a lot of time to dwell here this morning, but we'll keep it short. Throughout all of Isaiah, we see this language of newness. And it's important that we notice it. 
chapter 42, verse 9, Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare. Chapter 43, Remember not the former things, nor consider things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. You have heard, now see all this, Isaiah 48. And then 65, verse 17, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, because the old things have passed away. And we see that repeated in chapter 66, verse 22. Why is this important? Why is it important that there is new things taking place? Why does Isaiah emphasize it so much? Because it's exactly what we need. And not only that, but it's God's plan for us and for His world. Everything being made whole. Everything moved from very broken to very beautiful. Very much lost without God to what we see in Genesis chapter 1, very good. We've already read uh, Revelation chapter 5, or chapter 20, verse 5, but I'll turn back there for just a second. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That new David, that leader of our exodus out of our sin and out of ourselves and out of this temporary world where we are exiles as we learned about in 1 Peter, that king is seated on his throne and making all things new. And Christian, know that that's not just something that um, Isaiah is promising. It's something that for you and I has already started happening. In Galatians chapter 6, we read this. Verses 14 and 15. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, says Paul, and I to the world. For neither the circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but what? A new creation. Paul says that even in despite of all of his struggles that we read about in Romans and elsewhere in the epistles, we are a new creation. Or in 2 Corinthians uh, verse 5, 16 to 21, which we already read, I'll just read verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. In the same pattern that we see in Isaiah, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. In Isaiah, we see that a new thing is coming, and Paul reminds us that in Christ, a new thing has come, and that we are a part of that new thing. It's not just in, uh, in fact, in the book of Ephesians, it's beautiful. We see this theme of newness woven throughout, okay, and I'm not going to take the time to pull the string so that we can see all the text move, okay? But we, we see that we were dead with Christ, that we have new life that flows from that death, uh, that we are in Christ and He is new, therefore we are new. 
We belong to Christ who has a resurrected body. The promise that we too will one day have this body made new, complete, whole, free from sickness and pain and suffering and tears. We have the Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. We have, posit- we have the ability to respond to God the Holy Spirit positively. Because we have been made new in Christ. We've been regenerated. And that God the Holy Spirit does a work of growth in our lives because we are new. Throughout all of Ephesians we see that. Christian, because you have been set aside by God the Father and are sealed by God the Holy Spirit with a promise, you too will be made completely new. If you know for a fact that Jesus' death was your death. It's what you deserved. And that His life is now your life. His righteousness, His holiness, in the words of Isaiah, His justice and His righteousness and His holiness are now your holiness and your righteous. And that Jesus is your justice. I could keep dwelling on this uh, pretty much forever. (laughs) And we will. I love very simply uh, John Calvin, an old dead guy, said it like this. uh, But it is the office or the, the job of Christ, if we want to say it like that, to bring everything back to its condition and order, to the way that it was designed to be. And so the Lord declares that the confusion of our time, the ruin of our world that now exists in all of our lives is removed by the coming of Jesus. And at that time, in Christ that is, all corruptions and brokenness having been taken away, the world will return to its original state. (laughs) Okay, different language. What is he saying? Everything's going to be made the way that it was. Think about that for a minute. Everything will be made the way that it was. As much as it is a new creation, it is also an old creation. As much as we see here in Isaiah that it is a new Jerusalem, it's also much more than that as we see in Isaiah and in Revelation. It's a new Jerusalem, a new city, a new garden city that doesn't just stay in one place but stretches over the whole earth. Now this is all really good news. This is all really good news. And it's interesting then that Isaiah uh, doesn't leave us with good news. He actually doesn't leave us with good news. In chapter 66, verse 24, 
Starting verse 22, we see that once again, the promise is given to us. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. But in verse 24, we see this. And it, it's, it's vision language, okay? It's symbolic language in a way. So we need to uh, not get too hung up on each individual word, but we're going to see this. And they shall go out, talking about God's people, in this new heavens and this new earth, when all things are made new. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me, says God. For their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. Those are hard words. Why would Isaiah leave us with hard words? He leaves us with hard words because we know that sin leads to judgment. But all the good news that he's just given us in chapter 40 on, God saves sinners. Let me pray for us. God, triune God, we know that you are making all things new. Thank you for rescuing us from these bodies of death. Thank you for the promise that you will once again make the world right and just and holy and brand new the way that it was intended to be the way that it once was. God, we thank you that when we are forever with you, there will be no more grief or sorrow, sin or death, separation or tears, weak bodies or sick infants, no fear that will take hold of us, and no worry or care that consumes our thoughts and our life. God, we have confidence that our sight will be made better. That all that we look upon will be perfect. That our desires will be glorified. That our food will be provided for by you and will be perfect. That music will be glorious, that our souls will be made whole, and the joy that we experience in part now will be made full and complete. And that forever we will know you as your people. That we will be forever in the place that you have made for us. And forever we will be experiencing the beauty and the blessings of our King, Jesus. God, we love you. And we ask that as we go to the Lord's table now, and that we share in a meal provided by you, that it will be a foretaste of what is to come. God, we love you. Thank you for the good news that you offer to us through your prophet Isaiah. Thank you that even in these books that are difficult to understand, 
These are not just useless words written down a long time ago. But these are words that are useful to us today and encouraging to us today and uplifting for us today. Thank you for that, God. Thank you that your word never fades, that it never blows away or disappears, but that it stands forever, that it is always timeless and timely. God, thank you for the good news of your son Jesus. His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his reign. Amen. In Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 through 9, we read this. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples. Okay, so what is this mountain? This mountain is a land that God has provided for his people. We see that over and over again, and yet it's not just his people that are on the mountain now. It's a mountain where all people are at. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. What is this? Death. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of His people will take, He will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. And it will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him that He might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. Let us be glad and rejoice in His salvation. Now, just a couple more minutes here of teaching, okay? I, uh, we got to get to the table, and I don't want my wife to kill me for having to take care of the children, or Sandy for that matter. Um, but we want to dwell on this for just a second, because, you know, I love this, this abundance of food that we're seeing. It's not just because I love food, okay? We've talked about that. I've confessed that many times, okay? But when we see Jesus in his earthly ministry, uh, before he made all things new. I love miracles that Jesus is doing as it relates to food, but just generally speaking too, right? So if we look at Isaiah and we see there's no more death, there's no more sickness, there's no more pain, sorrow, suffering, there's no more shortage of food, what does Jesus do? He comes and he tells his disciples, hey, you can't catch any fish, throw the net over the side. There's an abundance of food. That seems like a small thing, but in Isaiah chapter 60, he promises that in this new creation, all the treasures of the sea will be his people's. Okay. <laughs> we see that when Jesus has only a couple of loaves of bread and a couple of fish to share with everyone, what happens? Everyone eats and there's leftovers. We see that when children and Jesus' friends are dead, what happens? There's new life in them. When people are sick and there's no hope, Jesus gives them hope and He heals them. 
in that that we see pictures of this new creation. But just before Jesus made all things new and started making all things new, we read in Mark chapter 14, as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take this, my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And they said to the, and he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Christian, we're going to share in a meal together in just a couple of minutes. And this is a meal that we have been told to share with each other. And yet it's a meal that Jesus is waiting to share with us, despite the fact that he holds all of the treasures that we've just read about. He's waiting to share it with us. He's waiting to share that meal with you. And just after he started this meal, as he encouraged us to do this, um, he went to the cross and he died for us. He died so that we don't have to die. And he gave us new life so that we know we can live forever in a new place under his authority, under his rule receiving all of the blessings that God has to offer. For the next couple of minutes, I want you to just think on that. Think on everything that we've talked about today. You can dwell on the sadness that's in your life, but this meal that we're about to share to us is pure joy. So as I prepare that meal, examine your hearts, go to the Lord with your cares and your concerns, these things that weigh us down now but will not later. Take to him your sin. He said that he would take all of our sin and embrace again the forgiveness that he has already shown to you. Uh, The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you have prepared this meal for us. In it, you remind us now that we rest in and rely wholly and only upon the work that Jesus did for us. Thank you for this picture of your boundless grace. Thank you that when we drink of this cup and eat this bread, we know Jesus has shed his blood to cover over our guilt and to give his body to purchase us and to satisfy your justice and your righteousness. God, thank you that this meal preaches. Thank you that in such a small thing, we can remember your steadfast love, your infinite compassion, your agony, your cross, your redemption. Thank you that we are reminded here in this meal that we have assurance of our forgiveness 
And may the Holy Spirit push us to take hold of that forgiveness that we have. Thank you that we are reminded here of the certainty, the sureness that we are brought to new life. As this little meal gives us some nourishment, may your spirit strengthen our souls until that day when we hunger and thirst no more and we sit with Jesus at his heavenly feast. Thank you, God. Thanks for listening. And remember that you were brought into the church by the saving work and person of Jesus. Also, that you are sent out to tell everyone about him. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Mountain View Scattered.